Hello and welcome to the latest edition of the Health and Safety Matters podcast. My name is Mark Sennett. I'm the CEO of Western Business Media, which is the publisher of Health and Safety Matters. Delighted this podcast is once again sponsored by the Health and Safety event, which of course takes place on the 7th to the 9th of September at the NEC in Birmingham. It's really going to happen. We've seen the government remove its restrictions and we're really excited for the event to take place in September. It's an event not to be missed. Your one registration pass, which is free to do so on www.healthandsafetyevent.com. Register there. You don't just get access to the health and safety event. You also get access to the fire safety event, the National Cyber Security Show, the security event, the facilities event, and for the first time, the emergency services show. It's going to be absolutely massive. The biggest exhibition they've ever done, 19 group, in terms of this market. There's over 900 exhibitors across all the events, 54,000 square metres, and they've already had 27,000 people registered across all of those shows so I think we're all looking forward to meeting face to face I've put on a lot of the content for the shows there, the fire safety event, the theatres I've done. We've also done the Health and Safety Knowledge Exchange, so Health and Safety Matters itself has created a theatre where there is an agenda but there's no PowerPoint. We've got a panel for each session covering a multitude of things like health and well-being, um, legal updates, UKCA marking, the future of health and safety regulations, um, or, you know, PPE, you name it, it's all there. And we've got a panel of experts in each session, and you, the audience, come and you ask the questions. You set the agenda. I put the topics there. I've put the experts forwards. But you can just ask as many questions as you want, and it's not death by PowerPoint. So we're really excited to be part of that, and I really hope to see many of you there on the 7th to 9th of September. And as I said, all you need to do is go to www.healthandsafetyevent.com to register for your free pass. So, as always, we start off with a bit of an introduction to the Health and Safety Matters podcast. It's a bit different for me because I'm actually coming to you live from the manga in Spain. I'm working out here this month. I'm away with the, the kids, but still working, doing the podcast. And, you know, I'm, I'm excited to actually see restrictions hopefully coming to an end for COVID this month in July. And the fact that I'm out here to me and the fact that these shows are now going to happen senses to me that we're actually coming Back to where we used to be a little bit, which is certainly exciting for me. The fact that I've already been out to see clients face-to-face is starting to happen again. People are back in the office, you know, so we've got a long way to go and health is obviously the most important thing. But I'm starting to believe myself now that we actually are going back to not necessarily where we were, but certainly closer to where we were than where we have been. So, so yeah, just a little bit about HSM. If you're not familiar with Health and Safety Matters magazine, please go to our website, hsmsearch.com, where you can register for free to get a copy of the magazine six times a year in print or digital format. You can see all the latest news, prosecutions, and products and services in the health and safety market on hsmsearch.com. If you click on the webinars tab there, you can see our huge back archive and forward upcoming webinars that we've got there. They're all CPD accredited, a CPD certificate for viewing them, so please do. And of course, if you want to listen to the Fire Safety Matters podcast, which I'm also part of, same way you've done now, however you listen to your podcast, just search Fire Safety Matters and you can listen up for free for that podcast, which I do with editor Brian Sims. But we're going to start off with the news today, as always, I should say. And, you know, UKCA marking is back in the news. 
So the BSI has issued a reminder as the UKCA deadline has approached. With six months to go before the UKCA marking becomes a requirement, BSI, the Business Improvement Standards Company, has issued a reminder to all manufacturers looking to place relevant regulated products on the Great Britain market that this deadline is upcoming. UKC marking will replace the traditional CE marking on the 1st of January 2022. And almost all products that previously required CE marking will need to have the UKCA marking affixed by an approved body. CE marking will cease to be recognised for the most products on the 1st of January 2022, as I said. However, marine equipment, medical devices and IVDs have granted slightly longer. So, Sham Barham, who's a Group Product Certification Director of BSI said, We've been in a transition period since we left the European Union on the 31st of January 2020. Both the UKCA and the CE marking have been accepted. However, from the 1st of January 2022, this will no longer be the case. Most products placed on the market in Great Britain will require the UKCA marking from next year, and the Associated Testing Certification to support the UKCA marking must be undertaken by a UK-approved body. We're committed as a BSI to helping our clients build resilience through the new regulatory landscape. However, a significant number of manufacturers are yet to apply for UKCA marking. We'd urge all manufacturers who plan to sell their products in Great Britain next year to act now to avoid disruption to supply chains so yeah there's not really much that i can add to this but it's, it's strange isn't it we're talking about brexit again all we seem to have talked about for ever now has been a pandemic and covid19 and before then we had years and years and years to do with brexit well all of a sudden brexit <laughs> is back on the agenda for me to talk about feels fresh again now we have done a ukca marking webinar with the bsaf and i'd urge you to go back and listen to that which covers everything you need to do on this and explains ukca marking in great detail just go to www.hsmsearch.com and click on the webinars tab and you'll see it the bsi has said already over a thousand ukca certificates have been issued to manufacturers so and you can look at that on the bsi verify directory verify spelled v-e-r-i-f-e-y-e so have a look at that if you haven't yet and your manufacturer complied with this and got in touch with bsi please do because this deadline is looming it is as i've said three or four times the first of january 2022 so yeah that that is replacing CE marking. I'd be shocked if you didn't know this. If you're if you're not a manufacturer and you know you're just a health and safety professional, this is good for you to know for the PP that you're buying. You'll need it to be UKCA marked, not CE marked from next year. That's the people you've got to use from next year. Okay, so the next news story I've got for you is a survey has revealed shocking verbal abuse statistics. So CE safety is analysed uh, data from uh, the Health Safety Executive to reveal a concerning trend on workplace violence. Following the reopening of offices in the UK, the Occupational Health and Safety Specialists have compiled advice for industry professionals who are looking for support in their fight against workplace violence. So, COVID-19 pandemic has brought the issue to the forefront, raising the topic of aggression and violence towards staff members. I think that's interesting take, simply because you know, we've all been working remotely for so long and now people are back in the office. It, it is a different mindset for people. It's a different mental state of having to work with colleagues face-to-face in the office all the time. People have been isolated. We've had the opposite problem, to be honest, where, where we work, that people have actually 
been keen to get back into the office, I think I said before, from a mental health aspect, because they just didn't enjoy working alone. But, you know, others could have a complete fear the other way if they don't enjoy their workplace, and that's not right. So this has come into conversation after a steep increase in reports of staff being subject to verbal abuse and threats of violence, and even some instances of physical assaults over the course of the pandemic. To look deeper into how employers deal with these threats to the safety in the workplace, Occupational Health and Safety Specialist CE Safety have analysed data from the Health and Safety Executive and figures from the Union of Shop, Distributive and Allied Workers, which is USDAW. Their findings have highlighted how these issues can affect staff productivity and the overall culture of workplaces. So the HSC has released the most recent annual data on violence in the workplace, which was collected up until the 18th of March 2020. So if you think about that, that is obviously just before the pandemic kicked in. So there were 688,000 incidents of violence that took place in the workplace in the UK, 389,000 of which were threats and 299,000 were assaults, which compares to 739,000 since the previous year. So that um, has gone down, but it's still a huge, huge number of instances. So looking at the figures from USDAW, after surveying 2,700 staff members, they found that 88% of workers experienced verbal abuse, 60,000 had been threatened by a customer, and 9% had been subjected to assaults. So these figures make pretty grim reading. I've talked about this in terms of um, public service workers or emergency service workers, I should say, you know, ambulance staff, hospital staff, um, police, firefighters. That's an absolute disgrace that anyone in their work is verbally or physically assaulted. Um, the police, unfortunately, would have to be used to that um, for different reasons, having to apprehend suspects. But, but certainly, when you look at ambulance staff and firefighter staff, as I've many times before, it's just absolutely unacceptable for them to be put in front of any physical or verbal abuse. Now we're talking particularly here on shop workers and the retail side of things, and that, that's a huge amount of people, 688,000 instances of violence. It's something I would say, just as I could just have there, that it's just not acceptable. People should be able to go to work, feel safe, not be threatened, and certainly not be physically abused. So it is a worrying statistic that's in there. Um, it, it, it's very, very high. And it's something that has to be taken very, very seriously and it has to be properly risk assessed. You know, the sea safety is highlight the consequences of violence and harassment in the workplace can have on employees. So Gary Ellis from CE Safety said the effect is insurmountable. For the victims of workplace violence, the lasting effects can result in physical pain and trauma, as well as overall well-being. From self-esteem to stress, post-traumatic stress disorder and the possibility of loss of income due to the affirmation issues. From a business standpoint, the effects can be equally negative. Struggling to recruit new staff to low morale, subsequently resulting in low business performance and overall bad business reputation. So in fact, Breathe Culture Economy Report in 2021 revealed that a toxic workplace culture costs the UK economy £20.2 billion a year. Also, almost a third of workers have left their jobs in the past year due to negative company culture. Sir Ellis added, unfortunately, these worrying stories about violence against frontline workers, especially in the wake of COVID-19, have become normalised and almost accept as part of the job. But as we've learned, the impact of well-being on our staff and all of our business and society as a whole is far-reaching and unacceptable. So yeah, I'd absolutely echo that message. I've already said it. But I thought I'd just bring these statistics up to you because 
that you know, 688,000 is a shocking amount of incidents. I'm sure it won't surprise you, but I think also, if you don't address this as best that you can, I think I've just shown you the negative impact it can have on the business as a whole, from recruiting to business reputation to business performance. So now, I know I said that it feels like we've covered COVID a lot and yeah, Brexit was fresh. Well, I've got a COVID story for you. Can't, can't avoid it. So COVID infections have been reduced after a mask upgrade was a story that we ran on hsmsearch.com. So Annenbrook's Hospital in Cambridge upgraded its face mask for staff working on COVID-19 wards to filtering face piece threes or FFP3 respirators. When it did this, it saw a dramatic fall up to 100% in hospital acquired COVID infections among these staff. Now that is a story worth sharing. You may have seen it on national news, but we've covered in quite big detail on hsmsearch.com. So the findings are reported by a team at the University of Cambridge and Cambridge University's Hospital NHS Foundation Trust. The research has not yet been peer reviewed, but it is being released early because of the urgent need to share information relating to the pandemic. So until recently, advice from Public Health England recommended that healthcare workers caring for patients with COVID-19 should use fluid-resistant surgical masks, type IIR, so FRSMs, as respiratory protective equipment. If aerosol-generating procedures were being carried out, so for example, inserting a breathing tube into the patient's windpipe, then the guidance recommended to use an FFP three respirator. So PHE has recently upgraded its guidance, that's Public Health England of course, um, to abide NHS organisations to assess the risk that COVID-19 poses to staff and provide FFP3 respirators where appropriate. Since the start of the pandemic, um, the hospital has been screening its healthcare workers regularly for COVID, even when they showed no symptoms. They found that healthcare workers caring for patients with COVID-19 were at a greater risk of infection from staff on non-COVID-19 wards, even when using the recommended respiratory protective equipment. As a result, the Infection Control Committee implemented a change in respiratory protective equipment for staff on COVID-19 wards from FRSMs to FFP3 respirators. Prior to the change in respiratory protective equipment, cases were higher on COVID-19 wards compared to with non-COVID-19 wards in seven out of eight weeks analysed by the team. Following the change in PPE or RPE, the incidence of infection on the two types of ward was similar. The results suggested that almost all cases among healthcare workers of non-COVID-19 wards were caused by community-acquired infections, whereas cases among healthcare workers on COVID-19 wards were caused by both community-acquired infections and direct ward-based infections in patients with COVID-19. But these direct infections are effectively mitigated by the use of FFP3s respirators. So to calculate the risk of infection for healthcare workers on COVID-19 and non-COVID-19 wards, the researchers developed a simple mathematical model. So Dr. Mark Harris, University of Cambridge's Occupational Health Service, who's one of the study's authors, said, healthcare workers, particularly those working on COVID-19 wards, are much more likely to be exposed to coronavirus, so it's important we understand the best ways of keeping them safe. Based on the data collected during the second wave of COVID-19 pandemic, in the UK, we developed a mathematical model to look at the risks faced by those staff dealing with COVID-19 patients on a day-to-day -day basis. This showed us the huge effect that using better PPE could have in reducing the risk to healthcare workers. So 
According to their model, the risk of direct infection from working on a non-COVID-19 ward was now low throughout the study period, but consistently lower than the risk of a community-based exposure. By contrast, the risk of direct infection from working on COVID-19 ward before the change in respiratory protective equipment was considerably higher than the risk of community-based exposure. Staff on COVID-19 wards were at 47 times greater risk of acquiring infection while on the ward than staff working on a non-COVID-19 ward. Crucially, however, the model showed the introduction of FFP3's respirators provided up to 100% protection against direct ward-based COVID-19 infections. So just so you know, this research was funded by uh, Wellcome and the Annabrook Charitable Trust and the UK Research and Innovations and also the NIRH Cambridge Biometric Research Centre. So that's quite a detailed look of it. Let's just cut to the 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 key part of that there's good news there you know switching to a new form of PPE there has had a drastic effect in reducing the amount of um, infections to people working on COVID wards and and that and that research should be welcomed I think we're all quite lucky comparatively as we understand the health and safety Michael though we like to think we do because uh, we work within it and we understand what PPE is PPE is an acronym no one would have known what this was, I would argue, apart from a health and safety professional before COVID-19. And now it's an acronym that everybody knows what it is. Everyone's familiar with face masks. But obviously, quality PP is the only thing that can truly protect you. And that's what this comes down to. They've upgraded what PPE they provided staff with, and it's had great results. So, you know, I think that's just a reminder that the best way to protect staff is is this kind of model following this, making sure you have the best quality PPE available. Now, speaking of quality, that brings us on to our next and final news story, something very close to my heart, and this is the Safety and Health Excellence Awards 2021. Now, obviously, in the last edition of the podcast, I told you who won the 2020 awards, as they were much delayed because of COVID. Well, the 2021 awards are now open for entries. Please, please, please do enter. It takes only a few minutes for you to enter. And it's the perfect way to get recognition from the industry for either yourself, a product, your company, a project you're working on, a team member, a team itself, any individual that works within your business or supply chain. This is the perfect way to get industry recognition. I don't pick the winners independent judges from associations and bodies do i can't rig this um it is done on its own merits from independent judges who've been around a long time and honestly i feel this is the best thing that we do i love doing it i love getting emails from people and calls saying how excited they are to be shortlisted i miss it being a physical face-to-face event which it will be again in 2022 but that's a conversation for another day but Everyone has asked me, are you doing the 2021 awards? Yes, we are. They're open now for entries. It's completely free. The categories are once again, Health and Safety Manager of the Year, Health and Safety Team of the Year, the Alan MacArthur Unsung Hero Award, Best Health and Safety Project, Best Health and Safety in Construction, the Lifetime Achievement Award, that's decided by judges rather than you can enter that, the Safe Logistics Awards, Best Health and Safety in Manufacturing, Rising Star Award, and Campaign of the Year. And also this will be done alongside the BSAF Awards, and they have four categories. 
So you can enter for free right now. It takes just a few minutes. And all you need to do is go to www.she-awards.co.uk. That's www.sheawards.co.uk. Now, if that isn't enough excitement for you in terms of awards, I've also just launched the new Fire and Security Matters Awards, because those of you entered before will know there used to be a fire category. Well... We've now got a standalone awards for um, fire and security. And, you know, the most relevant categories to you on the fire side, those of you that have got responsibility for fire safety, is fire safety systems manufacturer of the year, fire safety systems installer integrator of the year. We've also got uh, fire safety manager of the year, fire safety team of the year, fire safety project of the year, fire safety innovation of the year, which is the long-standing one that used to be part of the SHE Awards. So that's free to enter as well. Please do. Again, results of that, the shortlist will be done by independent judges. And to enter that, it's free. It takes a few minutes again. And that's www.firesecurityawards. That's plural. Firesecurityawards.com. Now, the closing deadline for the SHE Awards, the safety ones, is is the end of August, so you need to get a shift on to, to get those entries in. And But for the fire ones, it's the 30th of November. So, great way to get yourselves recognised, and, you know, the, the SHE Awards will be delivered virtually this year in 2021 as part of a new digital conference we're about to announce, which is Health and Safety Matters Live, which will take place on the 13th of October, and the SHE Awards will be part of that. The Fire Safety Matters Awards, well, there'll be a physical awards due. Actually, say Fire and Security Matters Awards, sorry. That they will be a physical awards due at the Rico Arena in April the 28th next year. So, yeah, please do enter both of these awards. It's a great way to get yourselves, your team, your colleague, your product, your company, your project recognized by the industry it's well worth doing so please do enter and it's completely free to do so so now we move on to the part of the podcast where we welcome a guest and i'm delighted to be joined on this episode of the podcast by rianne greaves rianne is legal director of regulatory safety health and environment for dac beechcroft who are based in manchester She's got a huge experience of the health and safety of the legal market. And, and, and this particular interview, we sit down and we talk about how regulatory authorities and local authorities in the HSE are adapting to and responding post-COVID. And we also talk about what guidance we're giving to business to adapt to the new changing regulatory approach. So I really enjoyed this conversation with Rianne. So I sat down with her earlier and here's what she had to say. Hi, Rianne. How are you? I'm very well, thanks. How are you? Yeah, great. Well, thank you for joining us today. It's great to see you again. Obviously, you've spoken for us at events in the past, the health and safety event. And, you know, I, I thought it'd be a good time to get you on the podcast to get a legal perspective on things. So I've got a few questions to fire away at you. So okay. we'll get cracking then. So the health and safety executive and local authorities have been central to the government's response to the pandemic. How has this affected them and the way that they regulate businesses? What, what's your view on that, Rianne? 
I, I think there has been a real impact. Um, I think there's been an impact on all of us virtually. I don't think there's anybody who can say that their working life hasn't been in some way changed by what's happened over the past 15 months or so. And of course, the regulators haven't been immune to that. Um, the effects of COVID on both the health and safety executive and also local authority environmental health departments has been absolutely seismic. Um, and I think as a starting point, one thing we perhaps forget is that they're people too and they had to modify their own working methods um, in line with the, the constantly changing guidance. And of course, that's had an impact on the way that they carried out their day job and in particular, the enforcement aspects of that. Um, I think before the pandemic, it would be fair to say that both the local authorities and the HSE were largely reactive regulators from a health and safety perspective. Um, they would go and see things when an incident had happened. And on the whole, the days of having a, a factory inspector, if you like, were, were, were gone. Um, and that position was really turned on its head um, when COVID came along, because obviously the HSE became then the national regulator of COVID security, as we now know it, um, and was quickly, uh, I don't know whether we would say it's overwhelmed, but was quickly subsumed by that task. Um, and its existing caseload of investigations was, you know, in the main paused while they looked after this, this, this new threat. Um, and of course, the local authorities found that their EHOs were similarly busy with various COVID monitoring arrangements. Um, and so their caseload was similarly impacted. And so what we found was that these habitually reactive regulators had all of a sudden become incredibly proactive, but just on one single issue, which was coronavirus. Um, and I think a combination of the, the changes they had to make to their working uh, processes themselves meant that they changed the way that they approach businesses. So we saw what became termed telephone inspections and in inverted commas, uh, which were aimed to assess whether um, risks in a business were being effectively managed from a COVID perspective. And so that was a kind of triage service, uh, of which we'd not, not really seen the like before, um, where, you know, the more serious or questionable cases would then be passed from call handlers to, to you know, qualified inspectors. Um we also saw the HSE given uh, £14 million by the government to, to deal with their additional workload. Um, and as, as your, your readers and audience will know, some of that was spent on contracts with debt collection agencies who went out into the field. Again, that was a very different mark change from what we'd been used to. Um, and so given the pressures that they were under, there was going to inevitably be changes to the day job, let's call them the normal health and safety risks and how they were being dealt with. Um, I would say that some cases have definitely gone uninvestigated. So there have been riddle reports which normally would have led to an investigation, which haven't done. Um, there has been a greater reliance on technology. So inspections via the telephone, uh, as I mentioned before, much more email correspondence than we've seen previously in lieu of visits to sites. So you can't go to site, but we'll we'll send you an email to ask you for, for information. That creates much more of a paper trail than, than we would have had before. Um, and, you know, both, both those two things really 
give the impression of a more informal investigation. I think um, when there's an inspector at your premises, there's a, a definite formality and seriousness to that. Um, when somebody sends you an email, that feels a little bit less formal um, and that can create a false sense of security for, for people. So I think I think that there have been definite changes and I think there are certainly things that businesses need to log about that for the future um, so that they, they know how to respond, really. I mean, the country's starting to open up out of lockdown. We're, we're hopefully closer to the end than the beginning of the, the roadmap to um, back to normality. So I guess my question here for you, Rianne, based on what you've just said is, do you think services are beginning to return to normal now at all? I do. I do. I mean, we have to bear in mind that during the first lockdown, particularly the very early weeks, everything stopped, including the court service. Um, so those things have now started to open up, uh, well, have been opened up for a while. Um, you know, we should note that the HSE are obviously continuing to carry out COVID spot checks. And I think that's going to continue for some time. So on top of the initial workload that they've always had, they've still got the additional burden, if you like, of, of policing the COVID rules. And whilst we all hope the remaining restrictions will be lifted um, sooner rather than later, you know, we can already see in the press there's talk about the winter ahead, the COVID and the flu impacts that that, that we might um, be, be seeing. So um, we, we have to bear that in mind. But we are, you know, in our practice, we are now seeing um, and have been for some months seeing cases being processed again, investigations back up and running, um, you know, interviews under caution happening, the courts are, are busy trying to work through their backlog of cases so yes we are beginning to return to something like business as usual that's definitely one of the strangest things through this whole dreadful last 18 months for everyone is just the thoughts of the courts not operating is you know is unfathomable and you know let's i want to talk about regulators again here for a moment so in relation to the regulators do you think there's any lasting legacies of this impact and that we can expect to see any of these continuing post-pandemic um, yeah, I mean, I think COVID has changed the way that we all work and I think there'll be lasting impacts for, for all of us, whether it's more work at home or more reliance on technology. Um, and I think the same will be true for the health and safety regulators. I think they will continue to rely more on technology, so we will probably see less site visiting Um even in the event of an incident, you know, I think there will be initial visits, but I think instead of continually returning to site for information, for example, I think there'll be more reliance on, on emails and electronic means of communication. Um, and, you know, I think we have to acknowledge the fact that it's been a tough year for everybody and for all businesses and organisations and the HSE is no different. And, you know, it's going to take them a significant period of time to recover from their exertions in the past year. Um, you know, I think it, it, hopefully it won't last too long, but, you know, I think there will be reduced enforcement levels for a time because they'll still have COVID issues to deal with. And then they will also have a backlog um, of stuff that they weren't able to turn to because they were um, busy with coronavirus during the course of, of the pandemic. And I think for the HSE particularly, that's a really tough place for them to be because the number of prosecutions they bring each year is one of the key markers that the press and the public look to in terms of how successful they've been. Um, I think that's a questionable way of looking at how successful they've been. But, you know, we can't shy away from the fact that is one of one of the markers that people will look to. 
Um, and I do think we, we will see probably a reduction in the numbers of prosecutions and, and, and so on. Um, I don't think we will continue to see the use of debt collection agencies or I, I, personally, I hope we won't. Um, but, you know, I think the pandemic has shone a light on the fact that there is a clear resourcing issue in the regulatory bodies, particularly the HSE. Um, and so having gone down the route of contracting out to agencies uh, outside of the executive already now in order to, to process all their workload during the pandemic, um, I, I don't think it's beyond the realms of possibility that we might see further contracting out perhaps to health and safety consultants to help them with, with certain aspects of the work. Um, that's just my own particular feeling about it. I haven't heard anything uh, around that. But, you know, you can see very much that there is a resource issue and that was very much a feature of um, the recent parliamentary select committee hearing about the HSE's response to the pandemic um, was was loud and clear, really, that, that, that more resource was needed. Um, and I think the other thing that I wonder is whether we'll see an increased focus on health issues. I think for quite some time, health has been the poor relation to safety when it comes to enforcement. Um, but now we've all lived through a health pandemic, a health emergency. Um, we've all seen in a very real and tangible way how important it is to manage health risks. Um, and of course, you know, managing a health risk is the same as managing a safety risk in that sense. The legal obligations are no different under the Health and Safety at Work Act. So I wonder whether we'll see a greater emphasis on that, perhaps not initially in terms of enforcement, but maybe in terms of messaging from the HSE. I think that's fair. I think that is going to be an increased focus on the back end of this. I mean, uh, I'm nodding along to a number of things that you said there. I mean, I can say from a health and safety matters point of view, every time that we do a survey of our readership, the section that's most read is the prosecutions that's in mm -hmm. there. It's the, it's the learning aspect. You know, you say, is, is it a fair or an unfair measuring stick of the HSC? Well, what I can say is it's something that people take real learning away from. So our, the, the audience that you're talking to right now, and that's why we've got you on, for them, it's very easy to relate in that situation. They could work with similar machinery, a similar facility, and have similar issues. And if they can say to their line manager, unless you take this seriously, you're going to end up in the dock. Yep. It's, it's a powerful message. And I know that's why the HSC particularly gets their press releases out. But I do want to just pick up on something that you actually ended the last question with. One of the points you raised was an increased focus on health-related risks. And I, I do completely agree with you on that. I do think that is going to be an increased focus. But how do you think that's likely to manifest itself, Rianne? Uh, I think it's probably a little bit early to tell, but I think we will see a greater conversation around health coming from the HSE and then um, going into into our businesses. I mean, we obviously hope not to live through a global pandemic again anytime soon. Um, but I, I would hope that businesses will take the legacy of COVID and use it positively in the sense that, you know, there's been engagement in risk management um, at every level of the corporate chain because everybody has experienced this risk. Um, we all feel it in one way or another, um, which is very, very different to, you know, for example, a safety risk. So you mentioned machinery. Um, the people in the boardroom in an organisation don't always work with that machinery. Um, so the, the risk is not as direct, whereas this has engaged everybody. And so I, I, that's quite a unique set of circumstances, I think. And I hope that the businesses will, will use that. I mean, for the HSE, health issues have been notoriously more difficult 
to uh, enforce them. I mean, we have seen um, in recent years uh, more action around health, for example, things like uh, hands-on vibration, um, and we've seen some significant fines in that area, and I know that those have been been covered in Health and Safety Matters. Um, now, of course, we've got huge numbers of people working at home, so suddenly we start to think about things like ergonomics, and we think about things like loan working, work-related stress, um, which will very much come to the fore. Um, and on the stress side of things, I mean, I think organisations were already um, becoming increasingly aware of the impact of poor mental health. Um, and you have seen some organisations becoming more aware of their responsibilities towards their employees in that respect. Um, and we do know that pre-pandemic, the HSE were training inspectors um, in terms of enforcing in respect of work-related stress. Um, and so it'll be interesting to see how that manifests itself now, given the well-documented mental health impacts of uh, the coronavirus pandemic, which in some cases will be ex exacerbated for people when they're nervous about returning to work. Um, of course, you know, adding a pandemic into the mix of, of what's created somebody's um, stress uh, makes it in some ways more difficult for, for the HSE to enforce. But I do think we will see a lot more messaging around that and a lot more of a conversation about that. Yeah, I, I agree. So what I wanted to ask you here is this, um, one of our final questions was, what guidance can you give to businesses that need to adapt to this change in regulatory approach? Um, well, I always advise clients that they need to be ready for regulatory interaction whenever it comes, uh, you know, and to be ready in advance because there's a very close correlation between how well you manage an investigation uh, and where you ultimately end up in terms of um, enforcement action or, or not. Um, and so appropriate responses are absolutely key. And the fact that our regulators have changed the way they do things slightly means that businesses also uh, need to adapt. And so there are a number of things I would say. Um, firstly, think about what your regulatory pinch points are. Where are your risks? If you're going to have a problem uh, that the HSC is going to be interested in, where is that going to be? Um, you know, a lot of businesses will have had to change systems to accommodate COVID security rules, or they will have had to alter things to cater for restructuring or reduced headcount because of economic issues. So looking at whether that's created new risks and just being aware of, um, you know, the potential for HSE involvement. Um, where you have had changes, um, making sure that, that, you know, from a management perspective, you know what those changes are um, and you know how the HSE perceives what you're doing, um, you know, the regulators have changed, as I say, so thinking about things like, let's look at the most recent regulatory position statements for the HSE. Um, you know, what are they outwardly saying about how they're responding to, to, to businesses? Um, that, that's a good place to start. Um, you know, you probably say, I would say this, but if you have a health and safety lawyer that you talk to regularly talk to them because they're dealing with the HSE up and down the country day in, day out. So they will probably have a, a good insight for you as well, as will health and safety consultants, perhaps, um, because they'll be seeing it across different sectors um, and across different geographical locations. So uh, learning about what's happening um, with, 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 with the regulators is important. And again, sharing information amongst yourselves. You know, if you've got sites across the country, pull that pull that experience so that you know how um, the HSE has responded to, to you on a particular issue elsewhere. 
when it comes to actually dealing with um, a regulatory visit, um, you know, I think they're going to be few and far between, aside from in the case of, of an incident. Um, but think about who'd normally host that visit. Probably many of your readers will be will be hosting these visits. They'll be health and safety managers. Are they necessarily the person that the HSE is going to email? The last thing you want, if you've got this increased paper tra- trail, is for the wrong person to, to be responding to emails. So think about if the HSE is going to get in touch, how is that going to work? Who's going to respond and how are they going to respond? Bearing in mind always, and you know, you might think this is a bit of a doomsday scenario, but bearing in mind always, the HSE have the power to prosecute. Um, and so you have to bear that in mind because receiving an email feels, as I say, a little bit less formal but you can't let that breed complacency. And you also have to bear in mind that what you write to the HSE, that stays on your file. So, you know, the other thing that, that is, is very common, people who are involved in health and safety are involved in it because they are passionate about people not being injured at work. If something goes wrong, those people uh, have a tendency, because they're conscientious people, immediately to look at themselves and to soul search and to think about all the different eventualities. Um, those are not things that, as lawyers, we recommend that you, you, you put down on the paper. You need to, to, to think very, very carefully about how, how you're responding with an eye, as I say, to the fact that they are the regulator um, and that they do have the, the ability to, uh, to, to prosecute you. Um, we have seen some unusual, more unusual requests. You know, can you uh, send us all of your CCTV footage to demonstrate a particular way of working in the absence of us coming to site and, and things of that nature? You know, we're all adapting, as I say, but you've got to make sure that things you're being asked for, the regulator is entitled to receive. And, uh, you know, as I say, a, a health and safety lawyer can help you with that. Um, just because they're asking for it doesn't necessarily mean that they're entitled to receive it. So, you know, just be mindful of that. Um, in terms of uh, o- other points, um, you know, I think there is a pressure on the HSE, as I said, uh, not to be adding too much to the backlog in the criminal courts. So if you've got an ongoing case with the HSE, there may be other ways to deal with it other than a prosecution. And, you know, there would never be a better time to ask about that than than now. So, for example, it's possible for a company to to, to put forward, um, uh, you know, uh, to confirm that they would receive a caution, for example, uh, instead of being prosecuted. Um, so that, that th- things like that um, are u- useful to consider. Um, you know, to, to me, I would say, you know, everybody's business continuity has been tested and stretched to the max over the past year or so. Um, you know, we spend a lot of time talking to clients about crisis management planning and the pandemic's really reinforced the importance of that. Um, so now's also probably a good time to look at how you responded to the pandemic and, you know, a health and a serious health and safety incident, you know, it, it does have some of the hallmarks of our recent experiences. It's not as, as, as sweeping, but it can be very, very disruptive. Um, and so thinking about how you would respond if you had an incident, um, bearing in mind, you know, what we know about the, how the HSE are responding at the moment uh, it, it is really, really important, perhaps thinking about training for staff around enforcement powers and how, how they should respond. Um, 
So I think in summary, what I would say is it's, you know, it's always been the case and it's always my advice to clients that positive engagement with regulators really creates the best conditions for a good working relationship uh, and therefore for, for avoiding enforcement action if, if at all possible. And now's no different. And, you know, we've been through fairly extraordinary times of late. Um, but I think the challenge for businesses is now to really identify how the behaviour changes of the HSE and the local authorities might manifest in their case and how, how they can respond to that. Well, there's some great insight and advice there, Rianne. I'm really, really grateful. But I'm sure some of our listeners will be thinking, well, what if I need a little bit more legal advice? How can they reach out to get in touch with either yourself or your uh, your firm, DAC Beechcroft? What's the best way to do that, Rianne? So you can find out more about our team on our website, which is uh, DACBeechcroft.com. Um, and for for my part, you'll find me I'm very active on LinkedIn. So um, you'll be able to get in touch with me via that means, um, you know, we have um, we have lawyers all around the country specialising in in dealing with health and safety matters. Um, and so, between us, we will have a colleague who's not very far away from you, I'm sure. Brilliant. Thank you for today, Rihanna. It was great to catch up with you. We really My pleasure. that's all we've got time for this edition of the health and safety matters podcast thank you so much for joining us today i would encourage you to keep up to date with all the latest goings on the health and safety market by visiting our website hsmsearch.com where you can see all the latest news prosecutions products and services also click on our webinars tab so you can see our upcoming webinars and look through our back archive of webinars you can also use our website to sign up for free to get a copy in print or digital of our magazine health and safety matters six times a year you can also sign up to our twice a week e-newsletter along with 50,000 other health and safety professionals. I'd also like to thank our sponsors today's podcast which of course is the health and safety event which takes place on the 7th to 9th of September 2021 at the NEC in Birmingham. It's completely free to attend and I can't wait for it to actually take place in September and all you do is go to www.healthandsafetyevent.com to register for free. So thank you for joining us today and I look forward to welcoming you next time on the Health and Safety Matters podcast. Music.